Jay, put in a put a disclaimer in there that says that we're not flat earthers. No. Okay, I will. Add that we're in not post. flat earthers. Um, <laughs> I'll just okay. add that. What you just said. <laughs> add I'll what keep Grant it. just said. I mean, keep. Anyway. This will be at the start of the episode. Exploring Middle-Earth is a Lord of the Rings lore podcast where my friends and I talk all about Tolkien's works. My name is Zach Norman, and I know surprisingly little about Lord of the Rings. I've read one and a half of the books, The Hobbit, and half of Fellowship, but I'm eager to learn more. Darn if I don't love the movies. I'm Grant Mulder, and I am the resident Tolkien expert here on the podcast. I've read all of the books, and I've recently picked up the latest release, Nature of the Middle-Earth, and I am eating that up as we speak, or not as we speak, I'll be, I'll be, because I'll be. we are in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> yeah. That would be inappropriate. Yeah, uh, and this is me. I'm Jay. I'm the uh, second in command to the Tolkien expert, <laughs> if you will. Uh, I've read the books. Not all of, not all of Oh, <laughs> I've read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and then uh, The Silmarillion, and... Uh, I've slept through the movie marathon, so I don't know much about the movies. But I do know more than Zach, and that's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Jane Grant asked me to come along with them on a journey to discover more about the vast works of J.R.R. Tolkien, and that's what we've been doing. Today's topic, Morgoth. No, it's Melkor, not... Well, um, it's I thought both. We're doing, I thought we were doing Melkor. It's the same. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, did you do Melkor? Yeah. Well, I did Jay. I did Morgoth. <laughs> Wait, Gritton, did you do the first Dark oh, Lord no. or Melkor? I did Bauglir. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Guys, what? we all did the wrong person. <laughs> Dang. Well, why don't we let Grant kick it off? Okay, I'm going to kick it off yeah. by punching it. Um. <laughs> Wait, don't punch it. You have to no. kick it. Oh, if, my bad. I wouldn't. Okay. Oh, oh I gosh. just hit the desk. Don't hit the desk. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the mic is. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so, we've got Melkor here, and he is a... Um, he is one of the uh, the Valar, if you will. <laughs> or if you won't, honestly. Um, he is what he is. <laughs> so we've talked about the Valar, the Valar before. Uh, they are, I guess, regarded as gods by uh, some of the men of Middle-earth. And to the elves, they're just the Valar. They're just the powers of the world, pretty much. And uh, Melkor, though, he's kind of the odd one out because he is the, um, the most powerful out of all of the Valar. Um, and he... Uh, pretty much has a realm of influence over every area. Like, there are some Valar that have a realm of influence over, like, the air and the sky and the, the birds, and there's some that have power over the ocean and all the water and stuff like that. But Melkor has power pretty much over all of Arda. Not that he can um, control all of Arda, but that just he has influence over it all. Uh, so Melkor, uh, it means in Quenya, it means mighty arising or he who arises in might. Uh considering he is the mightiest of all the Valar. And um, his other names are Morgoth, which means uh, black foe. Mor in Sindarin means black, and then Goth either means foe or tyrant or enemy. So it either means black foe, foe or dark tyrant. Um, and then he also has another name that goes along with Morgoth. It's Morgoth Bauglir, and Bauglir in Sindarin means the constrainer. 
Uh, so that's that's his name. Like the dom, he's a dom. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, his lieutenant Sauron, he was Dominion. So Whoa. we're not getting back into that. <laughs> Careful. Uh, Careful. So dangerous uh, grounds. I'm gonna talk about um, the the origins of Melkor and uh, the rest of the Valar very briefly, at least because I mean, the music of the Ainur is what it's called. That's the whole like creation process. That's kind of like um. Like, if, it, if this were the Bible, this would be Genesis of uh, Middle-earth, right? Um, so the music of the Ainur, basically there's one god, and his name is Eru Iluvatar, and he creates these, um, these uh, spirits. They're called Ainur. Basically, they're angels. And um, they start singing, and he kind of like, Eru Iluvatar sets this, like, theme for this music, and then they all start sing to, singing to it, and that kind of, like, creates things in the process of them singing. But Melkor, he um, he knows that there's this thing out in the void. They're all in the void right now. There's nothing. There's like no universe, no planets or anything. It's just void. Just vibes. Yeah, just vibes. <laughs> just vibes. Guys no, dudes. no nothing. No, no drama. No nothing. Just vibes. No thoughts. Just vibes. <laughs> Head empty. Um, <laughs> and uh, so uh, Melkor, uh, he knows that there is a thing called the flame imperishable. And that allows Eru Iluvatar to create. And um, so Melkor wants that for himself. He wants to be able to create his own thing and do his own thing while everyone else is uh, singing the song <laughs> for uh, Eru. And, uh, but, uh, so Melkor s- starts uh, singing his own song in opposition to Eru's song. And some of the Ainur uh, listen to it and kind of get offbeat of the original song and start singing to his song. And so that's kind of how Melkor corrupts the first few of the Ainur. And that's how, um, like, uh, later on, like, how he has Balrogs and Sauron. Those are actually some of the Ainur that he corrupted and brought with him to the world when it was created. So what genre do you guys think Iluvatar's music was compared or versus uh, Melkor's music? Uh, I would say Aru's... Um, music was probably like opera or like some sort of like classical music, mm-hmm. you know. Makes sense. Yeah. And then Melkor was probably freestyle um, jazz. It was probably <laughs> it was probably ska. Yeah, I was thinking something <laughs> no, like jazz, not ska. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ska, classical music and ska. Yes, yeah, so that's what I'm thinking. Um, so uh, Melkor wanted to make. Uh, his own uh, beings as well. He wanted to make sentient beings because he knew that listening to the music of Eru Iluvatar, he knew that Eru Iluvatar wanted to create sentient beings of his own, which would become the elves and the men. And so Melkor wanted to do that as well, but Melkor did not have the flame imperishable, so he could only sing another song, a different theme of music to kind of influence what was already being created through the original music. So that's uh, that's that's what he was doing in the very beginning. So... All of these uh, Ainur, they um, eventually became so, like, it, like the music became so chaotic that Aru just had to stop, and all the Ainur were just sitting there. And um, and uh, Aru Iluvatar openly rebuked Melkor for, like, rebelling against him. And Melkor became uh, shameful and angry, and he, he kind of, like, uh, he kind of just, like, obeyed Aru after that. He was like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I guess he'll stop. He, he realized Sky isn't that great. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I know it's not that good. Let's go back to original anyway. jazz. <laughs> um, so, uh, then uh, Aru Iluvatar reveals uh, everything that the Ainur had created uh, through singing his music, and it was the the universe, which is called Ea, uh, that which is. And um, 
and within Aya, uh, some of the uh, Ainur entered into it so that they could guide it and cultivate it and start like you know growing it. And those were those were uh, the Ainur that became the Valar, which are the gods. And uh, Melkor was one of them. He wanted to uh, just kind of he wanted to go in there so he could um, control uh, Aya from the inside and um, create his own beings, like we were saying earlier. And um, so. Uh, Oh, and then um, along with my, Sorry, my notes, I'm, I'm cheating. I'm reading Grant's notes. <laughs> well, you can do I, that. <laughs> I wrote these really fast too. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, Arda is the world. That's kind of like the, basically our Earth. Um, is the world that was created within Aya, the universe, and um, so Melkor enters into the world, and he uh, he flees into the dark uh, corners of the Earth. And he starts um, kind of bringing along all the Ainur that he corrupted earlier with him and kind of gathering his uh, minions, uh, <laughs> which which is one of them is so Sauron. Funny, but so. Sauron's a minion. Yeah. He's the minions. <laughs> minions, rise of Melkor. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, yeah, he, uh, he goes on Arda and all the, all the Valar are there as well. And... Um, Melkor, uh, he he declares himself the master and the king of Arda, and and Manwe, which is uh, the king of the Valar, actually um, appointed by Aruluvatar. Uh, he, that's uh, their brothers, Melkor and Manwe, and um, he distrusts Melkor, but he does not know what evil is yet, because they that was like a concept uh, that they did not know yet, and um, so he just basically did not trust his brother though, because he was like, well. I'm pretty much king, so. <laughs> um, and uh, so he sent out into the void again, and he called out to some of the other Ainur that um, helped them singing, and those became the Maiar, uh, and he called them out into Arda so that they could help protect the world against Melkor. And so some of the Maiar that you might, like, think about from Middle-earth are, like, Gandalf and Saruman and Radagast and uh, all those people, so they were in the very beginning of the world, they were called by Manwe to help protect against Melkor. Um, so, let me just flip to a different page. <laughs> Sorry, I won't read this page. Okay, thank you. Jay, I'm watching so, you on the um, camera right now. And the okay. viewers at home don't know that we have cameras, but I'm watching you. Mm -hmm. If your eyes look at where Grant's looking, there will be hell oh. to pay. <laughs> oh. Oh. Strike one, mister. <laughs> Strike two! <laughs> Dang. Sorry. Man. Okay, go go. Okay, I'm not gonna yeah, look. go. Okay. So, uh, as the Valar were um, uh, continuing to make and create Arda as they wanted it to be, uh, <laughs> did you just? Look yeah, again? I got strike That's three. That's the Damn. third strike. Jay, you're off the podcast. What happens? I'm sorry. Sorry. Okay. Okay. All right, he's gone. He won't bother us anymore. Thank God. All right. Okay. Continue, Grant, please. So. So uh, the Valar were uh, continuing to create uh, Arda, the world, um, but Melkor came uh, from where he was hiding in the dark corners of the earth again, and uh, he disrupted their works, and there was a fir the first war against the Valar, against uh, Melkor and his uh, servants. And uh, they, uh, it was said in that war that mountains broke and fell and that the seas were uh, widened and that all of the earth was pretty much uh, marred. And um, so... That was the first war, but there was an Ainu that came from... That's the singular version of Ainur, as Ainu. Mm. And um, 
And I knew that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I just thought of that one. So, uh, he, this, uh, this I knew was called, uh, Tulkus, and he came from the void, and he, uh, because he saw what Melkor was doing, and that they were waging war, and he came, and he, uh, fought against Melkor, and he chased him back into the dark corners of the earth, and, um, so after that, uh, Melkor was afraid of Tulkus, and that was kind of his number one enemy right there. Um, hey, <laughs> say, I'm back. Oh, oh hey, <laughs> Jay. I'm listen, so be pool. very careful. You're welcome to back in, but I got my eyes on your eyes. Thank you. Okay. Did you have something to say? Yeah. So, uh, Tolkus is like, uh, or no, Melkor's scared of Tolkus. Do you think Tolkien, like, named him Tolkus, like, <laughs> to be like, oh, yeah, I'm the guy you like. Oh, because it sounds similar? Yeah, and he's he's scared this big bad guy. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Food for thought. Why don't you chew on that, Grant, instead of that book you're chewing on? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was me chewing it's more like a crunch but um so after after Talkus, uh pretty much defeated and uh chased melkor away uh the valar completed arda and um they uh healed the hurts that he had done on arda and still they held a feast to uh celebrate the completion of arda and while that was happening um uh, Melkor uh, created his first fortress, which was Utumno, and that was in the far north, in in the the vast mountains of the north, and um, so he created Utumno, and he started gathering more of his servants with him, um, and he started calling uh, to the Maiar that he corrupted earlier on. So those would be Sauron and the Balrogs, like I said, and others as well, because um, there uh, there's mention that um, Melkor had in his uh, his army there were werewolves and vampires and that and that's that's kind of spooky yeah so it's pretty much just a big twilight um oh yeah edward and uh bella no wait no who's i don't know i thought you meant like the (laughs) edward and team edward and team jacob jacob yeah Yeah. i'm team edward Edward. i'm team edward too i'm yeah team edward all the way that's good i said medward we're edwardians Edwardians. Edwardians. (laughs) yeah Okay. <laughs> okay, back to it. So, um, the uh, the Valar, uh, they created these two tall lamps um, that had lights on. Well, obviously, <laughs> lamps are lights. <laughs> but, okay, so they created two pillars, is what I was trying to say, that had lights on top of them. And they were called the two lamps of Arda. And they put them uh, on uh, one end of the earth and the other end. Because at, at this time, the earth is uh, it's flat, and then the atmosphere is like a big dome over it. Uh, that's so like a that's a that's a lot like the real world. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> well, I didn't know if you knew this, Jay, but the real world is flat. Hey, this is a Middle Earth podcast, not a Earth podcast. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring so real Earth podcast. Talk about, lore talk about this on your own time. Talk about it on your own time. Jay, put okay. in a, put a disclaimer <laughs> in there that says that we're not flat earthers. So they created these two lamps to light up the world, um, so that they could see their creation. And these two lamps are called Ormal and Illuin. And um, so Melkor, uh, he saw these lamps, and he was jealous and afraid of the light. And so he devised a plan to knock them down and to attack the Valar once again so that he can gain control of Arda. And uh, <laughs> while, the, uh, while the Valar were feasting uh, to celebrate, um, Melkor, 
he knocked down the uh, the two lamps and he broke the lights and he also destroyed the land that the Valar were uh, living in at the time which was called Elmarin and um, and then so at that time uh, Arda became shapeless and it became uh, a world unknown like that they had not originally devised and so they had to um, recreate Arda once more because <laughs> Melkor just keeps breaking it um, it, so that would suck. Yeah. It's like when you're building Legos or something, and like a little brother, like a little cousin or something, breaks what you're building. You're like, "Come on, dude, bro, I would, bro." I would have just yeah. given up. I wouldn't rebuild it. I'd just give up. <laughs> that, let that be a message. No, that's not. That's why there's not an entire book written about your life. <laughs> oh, because you ooh. gave up. Dang. Dang. That's true. Us. Uh, so, yeah. so um, after that though. Uh, Melkor uh, retreated, and he had a, another fortress that I forgot to mention, which was called Angband, and that's oh, where. I was gonna say you yeah. forgot to mention. I'm just kidding. I didn't okay, know. Okay, Jay. <laughs> she forgot to mention that. So Angband was like his secondary fortress, and that's where his uh, second in command Sauron uh, resided. His minion. His minion, and uh, so uh, he returned back to Angband because. Um, so he created Angband, and he retreated into Angband um, because Utumno was destroyed after the Valar waged war on Melkor once again, and so they laid waste to Utumno, but they did not lay waste to Angband because they didn't think it was as important. Um, and they did all this because they knew that the time for the awakening of the elves, the children of Iluvatar, was coming soon, and so they did not want Melkor in the world, or they did not want his evil to uh, you know, influence the elves when they first awoke. And so they destroyed Utumno, um, after the lamps were broken, and they created the two trees of Valinor, and these two trees uh, mimicked the lamps, and they created a light. And there was like a time when um, one tree was uh, Laurelin, and that was—I said that really weird. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. It's, hey, it's Laurelin. Laurelin. I don't know. I messed it up. So now I you can't know, get Zach it back. Zach and I don't know either. So you can say. Yeah. So um, you could have <laughs> just kept going, and we would have been like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So that one Walking. was that one. <laughs> that one was the golden tree, and that one. Um, there was a time, and that was considered day when that tree shone the brightest, and then the the other one was called um, uh, Telperion, and that was the silver tree. And there was a time which was like night or twilight when that shone the brightest. Mm, another uh, reference to twilight. Yeah. That, this could wow. be, This could be where Twilight's from. Yeah. Ooh. And so the lights, the lights of the two trees would mix, and that would kind of be like a, you know, like Twilight or Dawn or you know that sort of thing. Or Breaking Twilight, Breaking Whoa. <laughs> Part One I and didn't Two. Even think about it. Whoa. <laughs> um, so uh, the two trees of Valinor were created so that they could guide the elves back to Valinor, where which was the new land that the Valar had created for themselves in the place of Elmarin, and. Uh, Valinor and the two trees are created and the Valar are living in Valinor and uh, the elves are finally awaking upon the waters of Kuivienen and um, Melkor is an Angband at this point and Melkor learns of the elves at the waters of Kuivienen and he starts to instill a fear in them and he starts to kind of like basically haunt their nightmares because at this time in Middle-earth the two trees of Valinor their light doesn't reach Middle Earth, and so the elves are under. There's stars overhead, but it's under constant night, and so basically uh, Melkor just kind of sends out his servants to haunt them and like kill them, and he captures some of them and tortures them and uh, makes them his slaves, 
and uh, those actually become uh, the orcs, or that's what's speculated at least. Even um, even Tolkien mentions that he wasn't sure exactly if that's how the orcs were made, that they were tortured by Melkor, the elves. But um, he said if that is true, which I think it's funny because obviously Tolkien has full control of whether this <laughs> yeah. is true or not. <laughs> but he said if it is true, then that is obviously a very uh, grievous thing. Yeah, not good. Not good at all. So uh, Tolkien did not like the idea, but he said that's probably what happened. But it is, he or Melkor can't create... Uh, sentient beings right yeah. so that's why they think he did it because he can't create them he can only uh he can only like, morph and, like he can only yeah he can only like twist what was already created yeah into like his own thing so yeah jay's jay's got it yeah jay's and got it down you are yeah. really demonstrating that you know more than me about what <laughs> yeah. so uh um but there was this war and uh they uh, they took down Utumno, like I was saying earlier, and they actually ended up capturing uh, uh, Melkor, and they defeated him. And Talcus actually was the one to uh, defeat him, and they, he put a chain around his uh, arms so that he could not escape. And um, Talcus became the Dom. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was what was Melkor's thing? The chain, not chainer. The constrainer. Constrainer. Yeah. Constrainer. He the constrainer becomes the constrainee. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, they bring Melkor back to Valinor so that he can, um, serve his time, uh, like, kind of as punishment for, uh, destroying the world and, um, corrupting the elves. And, uh, the elves are actually brought over to Valinor as well, uh, those that were willing to go, um, and to see the two trees of Valinor and to behold, uh, the, the Valar. And so the elves come over, uh, shortly after Melkor is brought over. And Melkor ends up serving his time, and it's it's like over thousands and thousands of years that he's pretty much kept in jail, uh, bad boy jail. And <laughs> yeah, he was getting scared straight. Yeah, <laughs> dang. Yeah, <laughs> um, and uh, so he was um, he uh, was let uh, to roam uh, Valmar, which is the city in uh, Valinor, and uh, but he was not allowed to leave, and so he was kept under the constant. Um, watch of the Valar and the elves were also living in Valmar as well that they that were brought over and uh Melkor little by little and because he was trying to make it seem like he was good and he was just giving honest advice and wisdom but little by little he began to influence um evilly influence the elves and corrupt them and like spread rumors and all that sort of stuff and um so there was uh, one elf uh Feanor who created the Silmarils which are three jewels that in um encapsulated the lights of the two trees of Valinor and um he created these Silmarils and Morgoth or Melkor my bad whoops oh, oops oh, that's a big foul Ooh. big foul dang shoot uh so Melkor uh, was jealous of these Silmarils because they were obviously very precious and they're cool cool I mean so, the family jewels you know they're the family they're, jewels dude they're like the best jewels even you could say that, yes. Yeah, you could, yeah, you I could say that. I appreciate the awkward pause. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, Feanor um, is approached by Melkor, and Melkor basically tries to uh, be his friend, and, like, he's like, hey, man, we could, you know, hang out, and, you know, maybe you could let me see the Silmarils. And um, Feanor basically <laughs> uh, does not trust him at all because he's uh, – Feanor is also jealous of his uh, – of the Silmarils because he doesn't want anyone to take them. He doesn't want anyone to hold them. He Sounds a lot like the ring. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. 
And um, sounds like Tolkien copied himself. Plagiarism. Plagiarism. Yeah. And so uh, Melkor, because of uh, Feanor's uh, distrust of him, he starts to spread rumors that um, that uh, uh, what was I trying to say? Oh, Fingolfin. Uh, Fingolfin is uh, Feanor's half brother, and uh, he spreads rumors that Fingolfin is trying to be the High King of the Noldor after, um, yeah, after Feanor, or like he's trying to take Feanor's place, because Feanor is the next in line to be the High King of the Noldor, the Noldor, the, uh, some of the elves that live in Valinor, and, um, so, let's see, I lost my track again, again oh, man, gosh. I just, I just get to talking, and I lose it, keep I getting derailed, talking, man, and his brain starts a walking, <laughs> my, my brain walked away, uh, okay, head empty, no thoughts, head empty, no thoughts, so, okay, so he spreads the rumors that Fingolfin wants to be the king. And uh, so Feanor approaches Fingolfin, and there's kind of like this little rivalry going on. And then also at this time, uh, Melkor uh, begins to spread rumors that there is another race of people that is going to be um, in Middle-earth, and they are the men. And that uh, the Valar, the reason they brought the elves over to Valinor was to get them away from Middle-earth so that the men could rule over Middle-earth and that the elves would be the slaves of the Valar. Obviously, this was not true. The Valar just wanted to be with the elves because they loved the elves. That's, you know, they were the children of Iluvatar, yeah, and they were like to them. Sounds like classic men stuff. Yeah. Trying to rule everything. That's right. All right. That's right. Uh-huh. So, um, so Melkor uh, was uh, one of the only um, <laughs> Valar who, uh, <laughs> who knew about the coming of the men uh, into Middle-earth. And so he was the one who was trying to get the elves to, like, go back to Middle-earth so that he could, you know, uh, control them while they were over there without the Valar uh, watching over Melkor. Um, So he does all this, and um, uh, eventually there's just kind of like the peace is disrupted in Valinor, and Melkor begins to kind of seem evil again. And then uh, there was a time when... Melkor just disappears, and no one, no one knows where he went. And uh, he ends up showing up at the doors of Formenos, which is the fortress of uh, Finway, who is the High King of the Noldor, Feanor's father, Fingolfin's father as well. And um, he uh, he tries to befriend Feanor once again and to um, to see the Silmarils. And that's when Feanor realizes, oh, he's just trying to be friends with me so he can uh, end up stealing the Silmarils uh, at one point. And, um, so Feanor, uh, probably one of the bravest things that anyone else has ever done, other than, I would say, Hurin, um, he slammed the door of his fortress in Melkor's face. Wow. Whoa. Dang. Well, I have something later in mind that I think is even, uh, what was the word you used? I said braver. (laughs) I don't know why I forgot the word braver. He can't even remember the word braver. (laughs) Sorry, man. I I was put on the, I put myself on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Dang, man. Dang, man. Uh, so, Feanor slams the door in Melkor's face, and uh, Melkor uh, is angry at this, and he flees far into the south of the land, uh, uh, south beyond Valinor, and it's a land called Avathar, and that is where this monstrous being called Ungoliant lives. And Ungoliant is this kind of dark spirit that takes the shape of a spider. Shelob. Just kidding, it's not Shelob. No, it spider. is a... Uh, <laughs> it is uh, Shelob's mommy, though. Mm. 
Yeah, Shelob is Shelob is a descendant of Ungoliant, yeah. who is this massive evil spirit that is in the shape of a spider, mm-hmm. and uh, so he um, he uh, earns the alliance of Ungoliant, and he um, convinces her to come to Valinor and destroy the two trees of Valinor, and um, pretty much suck the light out of them. <laughs> And uh, yeah. so they go, they go to the two trees of Valinor, and there's a feast going on in Valmar, the city, at the time. So no one knows that they're there. And they go to the two trees, and uh, Melkor stabs them with his spear. And then the saps uh, start leaking out, and Ungoliant um, uh, sucks them out, and the two trees start dying. And then pretty much um, all, of, uh, all of the world uh, goes dark because the two trees were the thing that were keeping everything light, you know. Uh, there was no sun and moon at the time and um so that's how they figured out oh the trees are probably dead because everything's <laughs> dark now so <laughs> uh so then there's kind of like chaos in the city and everyone runs out to see um melkor and ungoliant fleeing as a as a shadowy cloud into the north and um yeah and so like uh, bonnie and clyde pretty much exactly <laughs> <laughs> and uh so melkor actually makes his way back to formenos again where Feanor slammed the door in his face. And Feanor is in the city at this time, so he was not at Formenos. But Finway, the high king of the Noldor, was at Formenos. And um, uh, Melkor kills Finway, the no, high king. No, not Finway. And that, is, that is the first murder in all of Middle-earth. Uh, no way. Dang. Not Finway. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Actually, first murder? The, the, first, the first three lords of the elves are Finway, Elway, and Ingwe. Whoa. Yeah. Way. Oh, Zach, I got a quiz for you. Oh, sure. Quick quiz. One of those is the last name of a famous football player. Do you know which one it is? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No way. (laughs) No, of course I don't. You You know I don't know sports. Elway. Yeah, Elway. 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 John Elway. Played for the Bronx. Broncos. Yeah. (laughs) The Broncos. Broncos. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you're 0 for 1 right now. <laughs> Is there gonna be more? That's that's strike one. Yeah. <laughs> if I no. think of anything else. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so uh, Melkor um, he steals the Silmarils after killing Finway, and he uh, flees off into Middle Earth with Ungoliant because Ungoliant um he promised Ungoliant more uh like like light to pretty much consume because that's what Ungoliant was. She was this dark mass and she basically consumed light and she became bigger. And so, um, so Melkor promised her more light on Middle Earth. So they fled to Middle Earth, um, and uh, Feanor, upon uh, returning to um, Formenos, learned that his father had died, and he cursed Melkor, and he named him Morgoth Balglir. <gasps> Morgoth meaning black foe, and Balglir the constrainer. And so he cursed him, and uh, he and his sons took an oath to regain the Silmarils. And that's where I leave my story. Wait, I got a theory. No, about... that's where I'm leaving <laughs> okay. my story. I got a theory about why uh, Tolkien chose Morgoth. Yeah? That's yeah, true. it's because when he got really bad, he got more goth. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Dude, you're so right. <laughs> like really bad as in really evil, you mean? Yeah, really yeah, evil. Okay. He got more... He was goth, but now he's more goth. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Well, actually, there is a there is a theory, though, that... um. Tolkien chose the name because Moor in Sindarin means black, and Goth in terms of um, 
like uh, gothic uh, influence, mm-hmm. and actually goths in modern day uh, usually wore black, and so it pretty much meant more black or more goth as in that sense. And he also um, drew inspiration from uh, Germanic and gothic. Uh, Wait, so I was technically stuff. right. So you were actually really <laughs> oh, yeah. close, yeah. He did get that more goth. He started wearing chokers, yeah. fishnets. Long. I mean, I can see. Coach. I can see him wearing like a big spike choker. So probably. <laughs> when when we first were talking about making this podcast, not this episode, this pod. the whole podcast. I would just finished reading the Silmarillion. I was like, if we ever talk about Melkor changing his name to Mor- or getting his name changed to Morgoth, I have to make that joke. <laughs> and on the fifth episode, it paid off. That's Woo! Good. That's a long stay in school, kids, because you never know what's going to happen. You could make it big. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I'm gonna head that's out good. now. Wait, no, come I'm back. I'm just kidding. Because there's actually kidding. there's actually more of the story that Grant left off. Well, wait. Why don't we do? Why don't we quick do an ad? That's a great idea. Uh, before we, we need to make hop money. Into Zach's, and th- we uh, don't make part. money off the ads right now. But, but we need to. But we need to. <laughs> but we need to. Please. <laughs> please, government. Idea. Please. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see you guys after the ad. Woo. The Valinor Travel Agency invites you to come on down and visit the Two Lamps of Arda. Visit during the daytime to see Armel and stay and relax until nighttime to see Illowing. You will not want to miss out on this once in a life. Oh, I'm being informed right now that the two lamps have been destroyed. What a shame. Well, I've got some great news for you. The Valinor Travel Agency invites you to come on down and visit the two trees of Valinor. These are not your normal everyday trees. Come on down during the day to see Laurelin, the Golden Tree, and bask in all its glory. Stay and hang with the family until night and see the wonders of Telperion, the Silver Tree. These are trees like you've never seen them before. Taking starting at... Oh no, I was just informed that the trees were sucked dry. Well, shucks. Oh baby, it looks like we got some big ones now! The Valinor Travel Agency invites you to come on down and visit the Sun and Moon. That is right folks, the Sun and Moon are the newest installment in the Light of Valinor exhibit. Tickets starting... Oh, no, they're still here. Tickets at 20 gold per person. We hope to see you there. Hey everyone, just want to let you know that we created an Instagram. You can follow us there to get updates and behind the scene pictures and interact with us. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at exploringmiddle underscore earth. If you don't want to look that up on Instagram, the link to the account will be in the show notes. So we thank you for your follow and we thank you for supporting the podcast. And we're back from the ad. <laughs> Oh, hey guys, how's it going? So I figured uh, it would be good form to continue the story where Grant left it off. And he left us off with um, uh, Ungoliant and Melkor, now called Morgoth, um, fleeing into Middle-earth. And so they did flee. Um, yes. <laughs> Grant, can you tell me where they ended up? Because I have what happens, but I don't know where they were when it happened. If I remember correctly, it was near Angband, right? Yeah, it was uh, somewhat near Angband. So they they arrived in a um, a, a small land called uh, Lameth, which was known as the Echoing Hills. Um, Lameth, Lameth, Lameth. And that was that wasn't too far off from where Angband was. Yeah. But yeah. So and then yeah. But so yeah. Go from there. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. Um, 
so there um Ungoliant betrayed Morgoth and demanded the jewels that they had stole um the jewels of Feanor um and Ungoliant had grown from feasting upon the trees and the the sap and the light um and from their efforts Morgoth had uh been weakened and came to fear her and so reluctantly he parted with some of the gems but he refused to give up those Silmarils and so Ungoliant encased Morgoth in webs and tortured him and he during this let out these great cries of desperation and his cries penetrated deep into the walls of Angband and Gothmog Lord of the Balrogs and the Balrogs heeded his cries and came to rescue him from the clutches of Ungoliant, driving her off with their whips. And so Morgoth returned to Angband and wrought an iron crown for the three Silmarils. Um, meanwhile, Feanor and his sons followed Morgoth to Middle-earth and brought with them the greater part of the Noldor in rebellion, hoping to recover those stolen gems and this is what triggered that fateful War of the Jewels. Um, so, in the War of the Jewels, one of the, the it, there are a number of key battles that kind of define the war. And there's some other stuff that happened in the meanwhile. But um, the first battle of the war, which is also called the first battle of, of Beleriand, started with... Morgoth sending armies, he sent armies south, hoping to seize territories um, from the people of Middle-earth. And now King Thingol of Doriath was prepared, um, having defended Beleriand in the past, but there were some setbacks. Lord Círdan's forces in West Beleriand were defeated and retreated and then besieged in both Elgarest and Brithambar. Um, I'm guessing with all of these pronunciations. Um, Your pronunciations were good. Um, uh, Círdan is what it is, not Círdan. In uh, uh, Sindarin, Círdan. or actually in all Elvish languages, a C is never pronounced like an S. It's always a I hard, should have known that because yeah, of Celebrimbor. Yeah. Which but, is also spelled with a C. You're good but, so far, though. Uh, yeah. You're good, man. All right. All right. If I ever say anything that's way off base, just go ahead and interrupt me and call me an idiot. Okay. Okay. Um, not you, Jay. Only Grant. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm I'm not the expert. <laughs> sorry. Only the expert. If you interrupt me, I'll be upset and I might cry. But anyway, what was I? Where did I leave off? Brithambar. Yes. Um, the forces of Lord Círdan. Um, were they had retreated and were besieged in Elgarest and Brithambar. Um, and so Thingol's forces were cut off from their western elven allies. Um, now, Thingol's forces fought off detachments of the orc hosts. As King Denethor of the... And this is another pronunciation I'm guessing on... Lyquendi? Of the Lyquendi? You got it. That's good, man. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and his lightly armored forces were overwhelmed and pushed back to Amman Ereb, where Denethor fell. Um, Thingol's forces did um, swiftly come to the rescue and slay the orcs, but they didn't arrive in time to save Denethor. 
Um, so as a result of the first battle of Beleriand and of the War of the Jewels, Thingol's armies stood victorious over Morgoth's forces, um, but they lost King Denethor. Um, the next big battle that I'm going to skip to is, uh, is another pronunciation, we'll see if I get right, is Dagar Nuin Giliath. Perfect. Yeah. I'm proud of you, Zach. You know, I would have not gotten that right. And you'll see and when I do it that I don't get any of the pronunciations right. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Um, but that means battle under the stars. Um, now in this battle, Morgoth had hoped to destroy the returning Noldor, which had arrived unexpectedly and passed into Hithlum. He sent forces through the passes of the Ered Wethrin, and though they vastly outnumbered the Noldor, the Noldor were still in power with the Light of Valinor, enabling a swift defeat of the orcs. And so the orcs drew back north through Ard Galen, pursued by the Noldor. And Morgoth's forces that had been besieging the havens of the Phallus, which were those two cities from earlier, um, since the first battle, they marched north to attack the Noldor in the rear. But they were ambushed by Kelagorm's forces at Ithil Sirian. That's another pronunciation. I guess I could say I about any word, any you word is it. a pronunciation. <laughs> that's another pronunciation. Right there, that's, that's another, another one. pronunciation. Oh, here we go, I'm doing that's it again. That's another one I'm a little testing. <laughs> but anyway, um, the orcs uh, wound up um, kind of like pinned on both sides, and they fought for ten days um, before all but a few were slain. And Feanor, in his wrath, pursued even these few survivors. Um, but went a little too far ahead of the main kind of host of his people, exposed himself, and the orcs gave battle at the edge of Dor de Deloth. Dor de Deloth. That one, when I was reading it earlier, I kept stumbling over, but it's a lot of Ds, um, which is, of course, the land of Morgoth. A lot of Ds. <laughs> Why did you both just look at each other? Ds. What could you possibly... <laughs> ah. No. Yeah. That's awful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, yeah. now that I've suffered another moral defeat. Um, so, yeah, Feanor rushed ahead, kind of pursuing after these survivors and exposed himself um, at the edge of Dor de Exposed Dor himself de like, Lath. pulled his pants down, or what do you mean? No, exposed <laughs> himself like, uh, showed a weakness that made him vulnerable. So, which I guess could you could be say pulling his pants thing. down. It could, we'll leave that for the historians to question over. But being at Angband's gates virtually, um, the few orcs that remained were joined by a number of Balrogs. And so the elves were quickly slain. And Feanor stood his ground, and he fought alone for a long while until he was faithfully wounded by Gothmog himself. And before the Balrogs could outright kill him, Feanor was rescued by his sons, um, but soon afterwards he, uh, he fell to his injuries. Immediately after, the moon rose, and with its rising, Fingolfin and the greater host of the Noldor arrived in Lamoth. They did battle with the forces of Morgoth that were originally sent um, to attack Feanor's forces in the rear. Fingolfin's son Argon was slain as the Noldor were caught off guard. And the host of Fingolfin pursued the orcs until they were utterly destroyed. Then they passed into Mithrim as the sun rose. So as a result of this second battle, 
the Noldor had destroyed most of Morgoth's forces in a swift blow, but they lost one of their greatest war leaders and one of their greatest princes. And that leads us to the next kind of big event. There was this period um, where the Noldor were able to um, kind of rebuild up these great kingdoms. I think it was something like 60 years between that and the next kind of battle, if I remember correctly. Sure. Um, You're probably right. <laughs> sure. Let's just go with sure on this Lord of the Rings lore podcast. Um, but the, the Noldor were on the brink of civil war. Feanor had betrayed the host of Fingolfin in Amman. Um, but Fingon which I just think is a kind of funny name. Um, no, it's the not. The son of... It's totally funny. <laughs> Fingon? 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 Fingon. Fingon? Fingon, but not forgotten. <laughs> wow. Um, it's very Fingon, the, the eldest son of Fingolfin, um, rescued Feanor's eldest son, Maedhros. It's a guess Ooh. pronunciation again. Wrong. Maedhros. Wrong. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, I, I asked Grant about this. I wrote it down. My Wait, let me take a second oh, guess. So don't listen to what I just said. No. Go back in time and don't listen to it. Did I say it right? Sort of. Yeah. Sort of. Grant, Grant say it right. Grant is now going to pronounce it right. We'll see. All right, everyone ready? Mythros. 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 <laughs> Grant tried to step and punch the, <laughs> punch the mic. Good job, Grant. So. With the correct pronunciation in mind, Fingon, but not forgotten, eldest son of Fingolfin, rescued Feanor's eldest son, Maithros, yeah. relinquished... Uh, there's a typo in my notes. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But he rescued his son. So um, he relinquished any claim to the kingship of the Nolor to Fingolfin, which was kind of a point of contention. And the Noldor were able to unite and then able to build up mighty kingdoms. And they did. They rebuilt their kingdoms as Morgoth reeled from the Dagor Nuin Giliath. Um, but then some, you know, roughly 60 years later, Morgoth's forces eventually overcame their fears of these new lights that had been brought in. And the Iron Mountains spewed forth fire. Morgoth sent forth numerous bands of orcs. These small forces penetrated deep in the west and east Beleriand, where the forces of the Noldor were able to destroy them. Doriath was shut and its people refused to fight, and the Lycendi of, of uh, Assyriand did not fight anymore after the death of Denethor. The main forces of the orcs spewed forth from the Ang Band to, Dor Darth to Dorthonian, <laughs> Dorthonian, Dorthonian. Which just, it looks like Dorth Onion. <laughs> Dorth yeah. Onion. Why don't you just say Dorth Onion? That's cool. To the to the Dorth Onion, <laughs> where, the, where the twins Angrod, Agnor. I don't know if I got those right. Yeah. Angrod. Angrod. And Agnor. 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 I'm going to Agnor you. If you. No, please. Keep... You have to yeah. listen to what I have to say. It's important. Okay. I swear. I swear. <laughs> Um, Angrod and Agnor held them off until a counterattack by the armies of Fingolfin and Maithros trapped the orcs and destroyed them as they retreated to Angband. And this was the first complete victory over Morgoth, after which the Noldor maintained a guard on Angband. Um, 
Yeah, I gotta hold it. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me, let me redo it. Do it again. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> awesome. But as I was saying, um, this battle, which was the third major battle, was the first complete victory over Morgoth, after which the Noldor maintained a guard on Angbang. 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 It was going to happen eventually. It was going to be a slip up. Angbang. But this began a period of watchful peace known as the Siege of Angband, not Angbang, which would last for a really long time. Long time, man. Which leads us to the fourth kind of major conflict. Um, which is a super cool event that I'm now going to describe for you, called Degor Bragolach. Ah, yeah. is that? <laughs> ah. Which of course means Grant. Can you tell us what that means? Battle of Sudden Flame. That's right, and you'll find out why. See, we no. If they listen to last week's, they will know. If they listen oh, to last week's episode, they they're gonna know. know exactly why it's called that. So you're going to know, okay, so you guys already know, because you guys already talked about this. Well, when I say the thing, can you guys still act like it's a big surprise? Because yes. it was a pretty big moment when it happened. Sure. Thank you. Thank yes, you. Zach. So, Battle of the Sudden Flame. Okay. Now the Noldor, to set the stage, had contained Morgoth's power within Angband over this watch, this, this long siege, for 400 years. Peace and prosperity reigned in Beleriand. Fingolfin believed that the siege would last forever. But Morgoth, since they weren't doing anything, they weren't strong enough to attack or anything, Morgoth was just able to labor undisturbed within Angband, breeding countless legions of orcs and other great evils, and creating the first of an unprecedented powerful force. Don't act surprised yet. Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'll tell you what that force is in a minute. It's going to be a big reveal. Okay. Um, let's see. But um, Morgoth's malice had furious haste, and he acted before his designs were complete. And it was this kind of rush to attack that would allow for there to be some continued resistance against him. If he'd have just waited, he probably would have been able to wipe out everyone. So, in winter, when the Elven Watch was least vigilant, Morgoth sent out rivers of flame and poisonous fumes from the volcanoes of Thangorodrim. Yeah, you, s- you said it right, but you just said it really slow. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. I stopped myself up on it. Um, Thangorodrim and the Iron Mountains, consuming the plains of Ardgalen and turning them into a desert called Angfaugrith. Yep. Otherwise known as the Gasping Dust, mm. which I think personally is a super awesome name for a desert. I was just going to say that too so personally i think that too personally okay that's i'll I'll duly noted yes so yeah the elves rattled by this unprecedented attack fled and behind them came the balrogs legions of orcs in unimaginable numbers Uh and (gasps) glaura the father of dragons can you believe it i know right unexpected totally a dragon? Yeah. What's a dragon? Morgoth had created <laughs> Morgoth had created this beast of fire. And if you want to know more about dragons, you can listen to last episode. Yeah. Which was all about dragons. All about them. But yeah. 
Morgoth had successfully created the first dragon in those 400 years. Wow. That people were just like, ah, he's not doing anything. Fools. Yeah. Um, Pity the fool. So Morgoth's aim with this was to unleash an onslaught so rapid that the kingdoms of elves would be unable to consolidate their forces and wouldn't be able to unite to each other's aid. And it worked. Each of the elven kingdoms kind of had to fight on its own. Angrod and Aignor were quickly slain as the orcs overran the highlands of Dorth Onion. <laughs> Every time I say it, I'm just thinking of an onion. <laughs> um, Maglor's horsemen were burnt alive on the plain of no! Northland. <laughs> well, we, yep. No, we don't have to act surprised anymore. Oh. <laughs> oh. No, but it helps if you do. Okay. okay. And Maglor's gap was taken, which gave Morgoth entry into Beleriand. Ooh, entry into Maglor the gap. Re- entry into the gap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the yeah. store, guys. I'm talking about the oh, store. Oh, yeah, Gap. The store. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Maglor uh, retreated to the city of Maitros to defend it from siege, and the city stood fast. The pass of Aglan was also breached, and the forces of East Beleriand were pushed back. Maitros, that's a, that's a cool, I like saying that, you know? Now that I know how it's pronounced, that's nice. Yeah, keep oh. saying it. See what happens. Good. I- <laughs> was that was that a threat? Yeah. Should I? I'm gonna call him Mr. M. Mr. M mm. managed to re-secure the pass of Aglon after holding the north border and dealing with the invading orcs. Even Minas Tirith held under Orodreth, and his uncle and Lord Finrod Felgund. I had a little word thing there where I said it slow. Little word. I do that a lot. Yeah. Finrod Felgund. Little word thing. That's right. Um, came north with a large army, but they were ambushed by Morgoth's forces in great numbers at the Fen of Serek. The Noldor were trapped, and Finrod would have been killed or taken, but he was saved by Barahir, who descended from Dorthonian, <laughs> rescued the Elven Lord. And for this, Finrod gave Barahir his ring, which would become known as the Ring of Barahir, and pledged to aid his kin in any time of need. So, Finrod and his folk fled to Nargothrond, while Barahir continued defending Dorthonion until he and his forces dwindled to nothing. And so, the long siege was broken, the sons of Feanor were scattered, and the forces of Morgoth roamed throughout the north. Now, when Fingolfin, the High King, heard of the heavy casualties of the Noldor, he rode with wrath across the dusts of Angfalglith to Angband and challenged Morgoth single combat. That's pretty brave. The doors no, he of did itself, He didn't? No, he, he did. To- oh. Totally did. Oh. No, he totally did. Huh? No. Oh, I thought Grant was correcting No, that. I'm not correcting <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what? I'm like, no way. No, he's no. like, oh, oh no. sorry. Oh, we're still... Sp- what? Whoa. What the heck? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And so, <laughs> at the doors of Angband itself, they fought a great duel. Morgoth issued forth in black armor, wielding the terrible hammer, Grant. 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 That's right. Grant. That's in the uh, the he... Return of the King movie. That um that big uh what do you call it? Um, what's it called? I don't know. I just slept. No, it. it break it breaks down the doors. What the frick is that called? Oh, the 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 battering ram. Yeah, battering ram. They have a battering ram yeah. that orcs have, and they call it Grant, and they named it after. Uh, the hammer of the That's underworld. Awesome. So, 
that is the first fun fact of this podcast episode. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess mean, you could say that. I guess you could say that. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say I guess you could say But anyway, so with Grand, um, Morgoth attempted to smite the Elven King repeatedly, but he only succeeded in missing <laughs> and carving fiery pits in the ground. <laughs> And it, while evading these attacks, Fingolfin wounded the Dark Lord seven times. Mm. But at last, he grew weary. Morgoth drove him to his knees three times. Each time, Fingolfin arose to continue to fight, but eventually fell back into one of the many pits created by Grand. And so Morgoth pinned the Fingolfin pit. down with his foot. I fell into the pit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, parking uh, Rex. I almost, I almost, Parkin I was, was going to say Park and Rex reference, Rex. but I almost just skipped Rex and just said Park and reference. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, back on track, Morgoth had pinned Fingolfin down with his foot, and Fingolfin, just before getting crushed to death, struck the foot of Morgoth with his sword. Um, Morgoth killed Fingolfin just after. And as Morgoth was going to feed the elf's broken body to his wolves, um, Gross. Who, who shows up but Thorondor? Can I say that right? Yeah, Thorondor. Thorondor yeah. Thor, Thorondor. Thorondor. Who you may have known <laughs> as the king of the eagles, who swooped down and marred Morgoth's face with his talents and rescued the body of the elf king. Yeah. And Fingolfin's last stroke upon Morgoth gave him a permanent limp and he never healed from the pain of his seven wounds poor guy and that was the duel with Fingolfin the duel and that's where my part of the story ends okay well uh at the end there right before Zach talked about uh the duel he mentioned a guy named Barahir and him saving cool guy saving Finrod's life um and that's where I'm going to pick up on, because uh, there's a super important thing that happens with Bar... Not Barahir, but Barahir's son. So, uh, after uh, Barahir saved Finrod's life, he, uh, him and his 12 companions uh, made their lair in Lake Tarn Eiluin, right? Yeah. Tarn Eiluin. Uh, just a disclaimer before I start this, I'm going to pronounce everything wrong, so Grant will correct me. <laughs> I feel like he's doing this on purpose. No, I, I told him the pronunciation and he wrote them down. He's still getting it. I can, I, some of them I didn't write down. Okay. They're hard, Grant. They're hard. Yeah, so uh, they're out by that lake and uh, Morgoth could not find them because that lake was uninhabited until then. Um, but Morgoth couldn't find them, but he heard rumors of where they were, so he sent out his minion Sauron. Uh, to go looking for them. Yeah, you got that right. Yeah, <laughs> Why Sauron? did you say his minion Sauron? So <laughs> close to the mic. Sorry, I don't know. Sorry, okay. I just blew out my microphone by doing that. So, uh, one of Barahir's companions, uh, Glorium, Glorium? Gorlim. Gorlim? Oh, kind of like Gollum. <laughs> yeah. I didn't write anything down for that you one. You said you didn't need to write that <laughs> one down. Glorum? Say Gorlim. Gorlim, sorry. So, one of Barahir's companions, Gorlim, returned... Uh, home one day to find that his house was plundered and his wife Ainil, Ainil, right? Ainil. Uh, was kidnapped. She was just gone. And his, yeah, his house was plundered, wife gone. 
So, uh, he went back to Bar here and, like, told him, and, uh, so he would go back just to see the house every once in a while, and one day he went, or no, so he would go back to visit the house, and Morgoth heard about this, and he heard about this guy, like, going back and trying to see if his wife is there at his house every day, not every day, I don't know how often, but, so one day he, uh, one day he goes back to his house, and he sees a light on inside, and he, uh, sees his wife in the house, so he, uh, he goes up there, he's like, what the heck, my wife's there. Uh, but it turns out it was just a phantom of her, and he gets captured by Sauron um, and brought back. Uh, what a loser. Yeah, yeah. What? I guess you're right. What a loser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I, I guess. So, uh, Gorlum uh, is captured, and Sauron's, Sauron is like, uh, why don't you tell me where Barahir is? And uh, he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, <laughs> so Sauron's like, <laughs> Sauron is um, is like, but I can get you your wife back and reunite you with your wife. So he gives a location and he finds, he gives a location. And that's how he finds out, how Morgoth finds out where uh, Barahir and his companions are hiding. But uh, then Gorlum, Gorlum finds out that it wasn't actually his wife and it was just a phantom of her. And it's really, it's really sad actually it yeah. it's kind of like really sad it's a bummer so that's how morgoth found out where bar here is so um he sends orcs in the night and they kill everyone except for bar here's son who is out spying on the enemy uh but i guess uh wasn't doing great because he didn't come back to wake him up and tell him that they're being <laughs> attacked um and that son's <laughs> name was baron and you might know that name from a different tale in the silmarillion called baron and luthien um <sighs> Yeah, so this is a this is a big deal because it has to do with Silmarils and Morgoth. So Baron, uh, he doesn't know what to do. He's all by himself. So he leaves and starts wandering and meets this girl named Luthien. Well, he sees her, and he doesn't know her name at first. I'm not going to go too in-depth with the story because we're focusing on Morgoth. If, if we do an episode on this, and we'll go more in-depth. But he meets this girl named Luthien, and he wants to marry her. But her father says uh, that... Uh, Baron needs to bring a Silmaril from Morgoth's crown to marry his daughter, kind of like a dowry. Uh, so Baron and Luthien, or Baron heads out without Luthien at first, and uh, Luthien ends up coming, and they uh, end up in the halls of Morgoth. And uh, Luthien basically does like a striptease type thing, and it puts Morgoth <laughs> to sleep. <laughs> you guys can read more into that, um, but it puts Where can we read more into that? In uh, the story of Baron and Luthien in the Lord in, in the Silmarillion, not Lord of the Rings, in the Silmarillion, <laughs> or I guess a standalone book too. Uh, but yeah, she does that. Good to know. And Morgoth falls asleep. Because uh, it was so bad. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, that doesn't really add up to me that she does that and he falls asleep. It was an enchanted dance. Oh, that makes sense now. Yeah. <laughs> A charm. A chanted dance. That adds up now. Live on the podcast, I figured it out. Okay. <laughs> you can hear the gears of <laughs> Jay's brain turning in real time. Yeah, so Baron, while Morgoth is asleep, goes up and uh, takes a similar role from the crown. And he's like, I got it. But he's like getting greedy. And he wants to take all three of them because there's, there's three on the crown. And so he tries to take the second one. But as he's taking the second one, the knife breaks and a shard of the knife falls and cuts Morgoth in the face and then they start freaking out because Morgoth is going to wake up. So they they leave and a whole other stuff happens with them but we'll talk about that 
in a different episode. But now Morgoth only has two Silmarils on his crown. And this event of uh, Baron and Luthien taking Silmarils inspired uh, many people, or many in the fight against Morgoth. Uh, which leads us into the next uh, big event with Morgoth, which is Nirnaith Arnordiad. Yeah, yeah. Got it. that one I got right because Grant talked about it in the last episode. I'm proud of you, Jay. That's really good. But that translates to the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. In uh, so the main character in this one is Mydroth. Mydroths. Uh, that's the one that Zach was talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he realized that they had to fight Morgoth because even though Morgoth, um, wasn't really doing anything right now, he could easily pick them off one by one. So he reali- realized that they had to. Um, the elves, the dwarfs, and the men, and all the people, or all the uh, people living in Middle Earth, had to uh, team up and fight against Morgoth and uh, end his reign for for good. So he created the Union of Mygrils, and uh, for a few reasons that I'm not going to get into right now, there was not much help in the Union of Mygrils. It was it was smaller than he expected, um, and so eventually he came up with this army of men, elves, and dwarfs. Uh, and they marched to attack Angband from the east and the west. And uh, this is a quote from the Silmarillion, which I think is... Um, Tolkien describes it really well, their attack from the east and the west. And he says, And thus they thought to take they, and thus they thought to take the might on Morgoth as between an anvil and a hammer. So they were ting. coming... Ting, yeah, ting! They were coming from either side, <laughs> and they were going to crush Morgoth, is what they thought. But Sneaky Morgoth, he knew that they were doing this. Um, so the battle ended as victory for Morgoth because he just, he already knew what was happening. He had a huge advantage. So there's this section I'm going to read from the, uh, Silmarillion in the, Ooh. of the fifth battle. Uh, a dramatic reading? Yes, a dramatic reading. Of the fifth battle, Ooh. um, Dear chapter, listeners, are you doing voices please. and stuff? No, Buckle no, up. there's no, there's no dialogue in oh, this. Okay. This is just that the- Can you do a, an accent when you read it? I'll try, um, but- so this is as long as as long as people can understand what you're saying, which is important. Yeah. So this is at uh, the end of this is after uh, Morgoth wins Nirnaith uh, or Nordia, the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Great was the triumph of Morgoth, and his design was accomplished in the manner of his own heart. For men took the lives of men and betrayed the Eldar, which are elves, and fear and hatred were aroused among those that should have been united against him. From that day, the hearts of the elves were estranged from men, save only those of the three houses of the Adain. So everything was... He slowly lost his accent. Yeah. Jay, you remember when we recorded that sonnet video in high school? Yeah. That's the same voice. I didn't didn't have anything planned, and so I started talking and just went into something, and then I just got Americanized (laughs) by the end of the paragraph. That's how everything ends up, so... Yeah. So, uh... So that that so at the end of it, everybody scattered. The men, the elves, and the dwarfs, their uh, union with each other broke, and uh, it's not going very good for them. But it's going very good for Morgoth. Oh, very bad. Yeah, very bad. Uh, but it's going good for Morgoth, and that's all that matters for Morgoth. Um, and that's all that matters for this episode because that's what we're talking about is Morgoth. Okay. Yeah. So that was near Nice and at the Battle of Unnumbered Tears because tears because there was a lot of tears they couldn't count them. Um, <laughs> so, so, uh, oh my the, at the, towards the end of the battle of Nirnaithor Nordiad, uh, Morgoth captured Hurin, uh, while he was defending Turgon, who was the king of Gondolin, and, uh, Hurin is, uh, 
that plays a big part in this part because there's a curse put on him and his children. So Hurin was captured by Gothmog, uh, he's the lord of the Bal Balrogs, and he was brought to Angband, but Turgon escaped, he goes back to Gondolin. But everybody's slain except for Hurin, so he gets captured and brought back to uh, Angband. So Morgoth knew that Hurin knew where Gondolin was because he was friends with the king, He was him and uh, Turgon were bros. So uh, Morgoth wants to know where Gondolin is, uh, so he tortures him to get the location because he... Because as of right now, Gondolin is the only major kingdom still standing in uh, Beleriand. Correct. Yeah, so uh, that's Morgoth's like last uh, place he wants to take down. So uh, he tortures, or he tries to torture him. Uh, Morgoth puts the son and daughter of Hurin, Turin and Neonor, right? Yeah. Neonor, um, under uh, a species of di diabolic oppression. Um, which is pretty much his thought followed them and gave them bad luck. Um, but they weren't like possessed by him. It was just like bad luck spell or whatever. So, uh, they got a case of the Mondays. Yeah. They got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Hurin wouldn't give up the location of Gondolin, uh, because he's just, he's just, like a good guy. You know, he's a good, yeah, guy. a good guy. So, uh, he stayed, he uh, wasn't let go, and he was chained atop Thangorodrim, um, which he was able to watch his homelands fall under the shadow of Morgoth um, until he was eventually released when his son uh, Turin died. But uh, So that was his like torture, was he had to uh, just be chained up there and watch his homelands be under the shadow of Morgoth. Um, but uh, Melkor... Or Melkor? Whoa. Morgoth eventually finds out where Gondolin is, uh, because uh, Myglin, right? Yeah. Myglin, yep. yep. Myglin gets captured, and uh, Myglin is the nephew of Turgon, uh, who was the king of the Gondolin, um, and he was captured by orcs and brought to Morgoth, and uh, Morgoth threatened him pretty much the same way as he did Hurin. Uh, he wanted to get the location of Gondolin, and unlike Hurin, Menglin. Oh, Mygolin, sorry, yeah. Mygolin gave up the location of Gondolin because uh, he wasn't as strong as Hurin and not, not as good of a guy. So with the, this information about where Gondolin was, Morgoth was able to sneak up on Gondolin, and he did it during a festival, so they weren't prepared to fight, um, and they had no clues there, so Gondolin quickly fell. And with that, Morgoth achieved what he set out for, destroying the great kingdoms of the elves. So there was no more great kingdoms of the elves in... Uh, the men, elves, and dwarves had no way to fight back, uh, so they were pretty much screwed. But uh, somebody else comes in, uh, Erendil the Mariner. Um, now this is Elros and Elrond. Elrond's uh, their dad, and you may remember Elrond Whoa. from Lord from the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Sorry. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, I reacted too soon. <laughs> you may remember him from Lord of the Rings. Uh, He's that elf guy who lives in Rivendell. Er, yeah. yeah, Rivendell. Yeah. He's the elf guy that looks like uh, Agent Smith from Matrix in the movies. Yeah, he's the half-elf, half-human, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, that's just a little backstory about that. Or, I guess, forward story, because we're not at that part yet. So, it's a little forward story. It's a little teaser. So, Arendil the Mariner uh, was like, dang, we're screwed. We got nothing to do. I can't <laughs> do anything. So, he's like, maybe if I go, if I sail to Valinor... Uh, I can talk to the Valar, maybe talk him into helping us. 
because um, the Valar were upset with the um, the elves because of some you know bad blood back in the day. I don't remember exactly what it is, but they turned against them or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was the Noldor that had uh, left. Yeah. So uh, the Valar decided after talking or after Arendil, Arendil, uh convinced them, they decided to come to Middle Earth and fight Morgoth and uh, end his reign, try to end his reign forever. And Morgoth did not expect this because he thought the Valar would, uh, he did not think the Valar would feel the comp- uh, compression, <laughs> would feel the compassion for the Noldor because of what they did to the Valar. Um, and uh, the Adain fought for the Valar while the rest of the men fought for Morgoth. And um, eventually Morgoth uh, did not make it, sadly. Um, this is the sad part. He did not make it. And uh, Manway sent him into the void. No. Um, no. And I'm no. I'm gonna read a section. Can we just end? Can we no. just end the episode there? I don't know um, if I could go on. Okay. So this is from uh, the Akalabeth in the Silmarillion towards the end of. The... Are you gonna do another accent? Yeah, I'll try a different one this time though. It might okay. be the same exact one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll do I'll I'll do a different one. Okay. So this is uh, the part of the Silmarillion. The part of the Kalabath, I guess, because after you finish, before right before the Kalabath, it says, this is the end of the Silmarillion. Here ends the Silmarillion. So the Kalabath. Um, so this is where Manway, Manway, sorry, yeah, as you might remember, Grant talking about him at the start of the episode. He's one of the Valar. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, he's putting his brother, Morgoth, into the void, and it says... But Manwe put forth Morgoth and shut him beyond the world in the void that is without, and he cannot himself return again into the world, present invisible, while the lords of the west are still enthroned. Yet the seeds that he had planted still grew and sprouted, bearing evil fruit, if any would tend them. And that, uh, was tended by Sauron. Sauron. Whoa. And many other people who are evil, but... Yeah. But yeah, so that's pretty much it. Uh, we can expand more on the ending of Morgoth because it was really sad, and I, it was yeah, a big I deal. Mean, I have a little bit more. Why don't Why don't we have Grant take this away? Take it away. Take this why away. You, why don't you take it away, Grant? Wait, Grant just away. left. He took it away. <laughs> Grant, come back. Grant, come back. I took the mic with me. Um, so uh, <laughs> after the War of Wrath and after Morgoth was uh, basically exiled or banished into the void. Um, it would, there was another prophecy that uh, Mandos, who was one of the Valar, he was the doomsman of the Valar, there was another prophecy that he had foretold that um, Morgoth would return back to Arda, back to the world, and he would attack once more and try and regain what he lost all that time ago. Um, and so it was said that in this prophecy, uh, it's basically like the apocalypse of, of Middle-earth, um, that there will be a, the, a final battle to end all battles, and it was called Dagor Dagarath, which basically says or means uh, Battle of Battles. Wow. So, um, and in that final battle, it is said that Morgoth will be slain once and for all, like a spirit and everything. He will be slain once and for all by Turin Turambar. Oh, yeah, he'll do the final blow. Yeah. He'll. Never mind. He'll stab him. <laughs> So, because Turin has suffered much hurts from the the curse upon uh, the children of Hurin, and so Turin will have the final 
the final blow against Morgoth and will end him once and for all in yeah. the apocalypse. The Children of Hurin is very sad. Yeah, very it sad. is. A lot of sad stuff today. I'm going to cry. That's all I had. That was just like a little... That was just like a little prophecy thing for like the end times that included Morgoth in it. Yeah, um, yeah so uh, that's all we have on Morgoth. I mean, things are always changing. <laughs> yeah, things are always changing. But, um, yeah, that's all we have uh, for Morgoth, at least that um, uh, Tolkien had wrote or written about Morgoth. Uh, there is another thing uh, about uh, Morgoth's ring, but that was um, not exactly... Uh, I guess considered canon or part of the timeline or part of the story. Uh, but that is an, a little thing. I think we'll talk about that later. But there is a little thing called Morgoth's Ring where it was uh, something similar to Sauron's uh, Ring of Power. Um, and he was kind of the first one to make that. But I think Tolkien scrapped the idea. Uh, anyways, so that's it for Morgoth. We hope you guys enjoyed uh, listening to this podcast. It was kind of a long podcast as well, but there was a lot to talk about there's a lot of different events because he was the first dark lord so pretty much all of the battles in the first age and before that were all focused on fighting him so uh yeah thanks for tuning in and uh give this a five star rating on apple Podcasts. go follow us on spotify go share it to your friends on instagram facebook wherever and uh thank you for listening bye bye follow us on myspace too no please don't know we what? don't have one we, I made one, guys. Wait, for real? We have a LinkedIn. <laughs> wait, do we actually have a MySpace account? We, we will. <laughs> <laughs> that, okay, yeah, follow us on MySpace. I'll put it um, I'll put it in the <laughs> description, and you can be one, like, in our top five. Yeah, or top eight. Top eight. Yeah, sorry. I am too young for MySpace. But I knew <laughs> yeah, there was so a am I. <laughs> top something. <laughs> top eight. You'll be in our top eight. So thank you guys for listening. We'll see you later. Thank you, guys. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of Exploring Middle Earth. Grant, Zach, and I had a great time making it, and we hope you enjoyed listening to it. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast and you want to support us, there's two ways you can do that. One way is to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this helps us a lot because it builds up our reputation. You can also share this episode or the podcast with your friends. You can find us online at, at exploringmiddle underscore earth, where we will post updates and behind-the-scenes pictures. The link to that will be in the show notes. Each episode goes up every other Monday, so episode 6 will be up on September 27th. That episode will cover the second Dark Lord, Sauron, so be on the lookout for that. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.